what we do? You can see it. That's the video on PIA Communications' homepage. PIA is a full-service creative agency that's worked with companies like Pepsi, Disney, Microsoft, and HP to create meaningful human brand stories. Watching it today, you see shots of smiling faces, laughter, and a theme of connection. You see a story about people. Relationship. B to B, B to C, to be or not to be. Peers for people. But Pia's brand wasn't always this well defined. Cheryl and Cliff Pia founded their agency in 1996, with Cheryl running the business side and Cliff as the chief creative. For some time, they felt without direction haphazardly moving from day to day without goals or a plan to grow beyond themselves. Cheryl didn't know much about running a business and often pictured the day that she would leave to spend time with her family and become a stay-at-home mom. But over time, she realized that that wouldn't serve her, that she was passionate about the business and wanted to commit herself to embodying the role of CEO in earnest. Something happened for me at that point, just having that title when I had been like vice president or whatever, you know, I'm not really not a title person. Something happened for me psychologically where it was like, okay, well, if I'm going to have this role and I'm going to be this person and I am saying to myself that I'm committed to really doing this, I'm going to learn how to do this and do it really well and really own it. Owning it meant going back to school for her executive MBA at Dartmouth and working with Emith coach Nick Lawler to focus on her growth as a leader, where she wanted to take the company, and how she was going to get there. It was that learning process, her will, and big aspirations that made it possible for her to achieve her goals. Here's Nick. You walked myself and Cliff around this empty office building, which was huge. And I imagined the eight employees that currently had at the stage just rattling around this huge building thinking oh how on earth is this going to happen and it felt so scary but that was you sequencing your goals you couldn't increase your revenue until you were in a position where you could increase the size of your team and you couldn't increase your team until you had a place for them to work that was setting your intention and then sequencing your goals in the last two years, Cheryl's hired a CFO, nearly tripled her employees, expanded to three locations, and enjoyed tremendous growth. Cheryl's recommitment to her business and herself as its leader has changed everything. And when you listen to her speak, you can tell that Pia and Cheryl are only getting started. I'll be talking with Cheryl and Nick on this month's episode of On It, a production by Emith. Each month, we tell the stories of owners and how they transformed their companies. You'll learn about their struggles, their successes, and the changes they made to create the business they always wanted. One that, in the end, serves the life they want to live. I'm Martin Kamensky, CEO of Emith. Emith is the original business coaching company. And over the last three decades, we've worked with tens of thousands of business owners to help them systematize their business, improve their bottom lines, and find more meaning in their work. Schedule a free one-hour session with an Emith coach at emith.com. That's E-M-Y-T-H.com. We'll personally match you with a coach based on your industry, location, and what help you're looking for. You'll have a real coaching experience and learn the steps necessary to produce both immediate results and long-term change. Learn more on our website, emith.com.
Thank you, Cheryl, for joining us and, and agreeing to spend some time telling us the story of, of you and your business. I, I, we really appreciate it. Sure. Happy to be here. There was a moment in your business's history where you realized the need to start approaching it, not just as an owner, but that you really had to embody a role of a chief executive officer, that you really needed to understand how to be a CEO. What, what brought you to that point? Well, uh, you know, the, the history of our business was, it was, it's a partnership with my husband Cliff and I, and it was for all intents and purposes, really the Cliff show. He's the creative genius behind everything we do. And he, um, I was sort of more of a support person, and I always sort of thought of myself as more of a support person, even though I was the president of the company. I just didn't think of myself in that way. And I, for the longest time, sort of thought that I was doing this until I didn't have to and I could stay home with the kids. And um, kind of, we finally, we got to a place where I could have done that, and I realized that I didn't want to, that I actually really was passionate about the business and that I really did want to own the title of president and CEO and that I really wanted to 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 build this thing into something that uh, we had never even considered so it was it was just a really big turning point for me and at that point I went back to school and did an exec MBA program at Tuck and um, you know, and that was when I kind of came to Emeth. It was around that time. It was, well, it was it was a, a while after, but that was really the turning point for me. Can you tell me a little more about what that was like before that point, before the masters, in terms of how your business functioned day to day? What it was like getting in there, working with your partner, your husband, and and sorting out responsibilities. Yeah, it was. Um, it always felt overwhelming. It always felt, you know, I didn't, I, I always felt like I didn't quite know what I was doing and I was kind of faking it. And we were very successful um, to a point. We had large brand clients. We were highly profitable. Up, this is all up through 2008. Highly profitable, low overhead. Uh, so, you know, you can cover a multitude of sins when you've got, when you're highly profitable and you've got cash coming in and you have a low overhead, it becomes much more important to have an understanding of, you know, for example, financial fundamentals once you start to grow. And, and, and during challenging time periods, your skill set and leadership become really much more important than they are when things the money's just flowing. Uh, so it was that, that also was something for me to look back on at the time. You know, I, I felt a lot of responsibility when our, when we went through 2008. I felt a lot of responsibility in, with how the company had done. And even though we did weather the storm, we took some very serious hits and had to lay off most of our people. Um, and I had to kind of own the fact that it probably wouldn't have looked quite as bad as it did if I had under basic business understanding or a, a more basic business understanding. Yeah, I, th I think that was one of the really early conversations we had was, what, why is this business such a roller coaster? 
what what mm-hmm. are what are the patterns that are going on that makes us kind of go through this kind of boom period and then we kind of hit a slump and it's and it's surely there must be a way of of thinking about this business in a systematic way that allows us to understand what's happening with the business so that we Correct. can we can smooth out those horrible troughs. Yep. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and I can imagine there's a lot of people listening and a lot of business owners who've been in that position of uh, faking it till you make it works up to a point, right? And, and you're, you're doing the work of whatever your business is, not necessarily working on growing the business yet. Uh, but then something happens. And for some people, it's about losing a key employee. In your case, it might be financial challenges or, or the economy turning down. Uh, but something happens and you realize how important it is to, to do those things and work on things like leadership uh, and, and putting systems and structure into your business. Uh, was that a difficult transition for you to make at all in going from the way you were relating to the company to approaching it from that lens? Um, it, it was, it was difficult in that it required me to look at myself in a different way. It required everybody that worked with me and us to look at me in a different way. Uh, it was, you know, there were additional challenges brought on by the fact that my partner is my husband and he's been incredibly supportive of this journey for sure. But it changed our dynamic as well. Um, so there, you know, yes, it was challenging and exciting, and I would say more exciting than challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many businesses in the United States, and we, I know that we have a lot of clients, uh, and and probably some listeners who are in are in businesses where family members are involved and it's always tricky. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all, it always gets complicated, both the business relationships and personal relationships. Can you tell me about how some of that changed between you and your husband? Well, you know, it, it, overall it's been really beneficial. We, we're in advertising is a crazy business and it's a very time consuming business. It, it can really consume your life. And I think if we weren't in the same business and in the same company, I'm not sure how well our, our, our marriage would have done. But because we were, we were understanding of the demands that were placed on our time and energy and focus. Um, when I really took ownership of being the CEO, I think what changed for us and some of the challenges around that was just shifting the dynamic of, of you know finding finding the balance between being the CEO of the company and guiding the ship in the office and not necessarily bringing that home with me and um, you know I, I, I in the beginning didn't do a great job to be honest hmm. I, I, but I remember that um we seem to do our best work together. You, me, and Cliff seem to do our best work together when you'd had a week off, the two of you together, and had spent that week walking the dog on the beach, spending time reconnecting, thinking about your strategic purpose. Um, and then you came back, because um, you are both very high energy, 
um, both highly creative and and both lead the these just kind of crazy busy working lives um, but it was always that week or a few weeks after you'd spent time away from the business that you came back and and the business grew yeah, Do you remember that's absolutely true absolutely true you know, I think taking time off to recharge and especially in our case to recharge together as a couple and recharge as a family is absolutely critical. And I think up until really a few years ago, we would do it. We would take the time, but we wouldn't really detach in any way because we didn't, number one, we really couldn't. When we, when we did detach, things would fall apart. We didn't have a team in place. That could step in at any at any um, juncture, and you know run the show. And we do have that now, but for the longest time we didn't really. And we so so we would step away. We would go on vacation, but we would still be completely engaged in the business. And there was no recharge time. And we might as well have not gone. Um, but when we do take that time and really just connect personally, we come back with phenomenal business ideas always and we're re-energized and we're ready to recommit to the business going forward. So it's, it's absolutely, you know, for anybody that's out there listening that has, is in a family business or anybody really, taking that time off when you're not just being the technician who can't leave the widget machine is really, really, really important. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering just if we can even keep Emeth aside for the moment, mm -hmm. uh, part of what you're saying about not being able to get that time away was not having the people in place to, to not let, um, everything fall apart. Mm -hmm. But what can you tell us? Do you have any other tips in general for business owners about, really unplugging while you're away? Uh, what things that help make for a really restful time away from your business? Well, I think, you know, for, I'm not sure I can, I can answer that for all business owners, but I know for me, I, I never really completely unplug, but I'll check in you know, in the morning, I might check in once in the afternoon. There may be a day or two that I don't check in at all. I make it really clear to my staff that I need them to, you know, to, to kind of own everything that's happening. And um, that, that seems to be enough. Now, I do find for me personally that when I completely, completely unplug, I have a little anxiety kind of playing in the background uh, about what's going on. So that's probably not necessarily healthy, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's how I am. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I get that. I believe it. Um, when you were first introduced to Nick as your coach, can you tell me about the first area that the two of you set out to tackle together? Well, you know, the first area, Nick, I'm trying to remember, I I mean, the first thing that we did because it was over the new year, I think the new year break, we uh -huh. tend to close our office for two weeks. The first thing that we did was self-organization, which I think in, in the e-myth kind of process was the first item. Uh, and that was really excellent for me because it sort of gave me 
uh, a refresh, you know, sort of a restart button for how I started, how I began the new year in my office, how I thought about organizing things. I, you know, up until then really tended to be very disorganized and have a lot of things all over the place. So the self-organization part of it was really important. And then I believe the next thing we did was uh, values, passions, and, and purpose. And that was also a really powerful exercise that I did and Cliff did as well. Uh, and we kind of merged them to some extent, but we're very much aligned, so it made sense for us to do that. But that also really gave us a strong understanding of our why, uh, which we, you know, we always think about the why when we're when we're creating advertising of any kind or marketing of any kind. But our personal why, I think, had been lost, and that exercise allowed us to really get clear about our personal why. Yeah, and I remember you did that separately. You you both yeah. spent time on your own working out your personal why, and then you brought it together to mm -hmm. share. And, and that created a really interesting and useful conversation about whether or not you were both pulling in the same direction. And it allowed us to have a conversation about trust, trust in your leadership as CEO. And that allowed us to have a deeper conversation about roles and responsibilities in the organization and how you and Cliff related to each other at work. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I want to go back, if you'll let me, to the self-organization point. Sure. And if you could drive, drive back down memory lane uh, and help us paint, paint us a picture of Cheryl's pre-self-organization existence. What did that life look like? What was, what was your desk like? What was your calendar like? What kinds of things were you putting your energy and attention into? And what were you not focusing on as a result of that? Uh, I know it's personal, but if you're willing, if you're willing to go there with us, I'm really curious to hear what it was like. Well, I'm actually sitting here surrounded by piles of papers, so I feel hypocritical. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working on it today, actually. Um, okay. No, I'll, t I'll tell you that uh, before I did that exercise, I always had piles of paper, little pieces of paper, uh, you know, 20,000 emails in my inbox. And my calendaring was abysmal. I didn't have an assistant. Uh, we were having some big challenges keeping and finding and keeping the right assistant for some time. And we are, are you know, I would miss meetings a lot, uh, which is just inexcusable. Mm. But really just always had this feeling of overwhelm. And I didn't know where things were. And I had so many pieces of paper that didn't really even, I didn't need. Uh, and there was not really a system to, to put them in their place. And so I found, for me, I'm not a terribly structured person, but the structure that that process provided was really helpful because it gave me a real understanding of the why of it. Again, I'm very driven by that, but also the how. 
and the way to think about it. And so, you know, I did it in when I did my office, it was in one fell swoop. I took the day, I, I took it literally, took the day to come in when the office was closed and just, you know, I had piles, mounds and mounds of paper everywhere and just went through it methodically and put things in their place. And it's it's really, you know, very transformative and very, very cathartic. So, you know, it just really cannot recommend it enough. I think that was that was the start. You know, it was it was an excellent place to begin the process of working with Nick and looking forward and doing things in a way that I hadn't done them before. Mm-hmm. Nick, I'm I'm wondering if you could if you could speak to why why it can be a really helpful place to start this idea of self-organization as opposed to starting in other places in the e-myth process what does it open up for the business owner to be able to to declutter in that way and get themselves organized i think it um establishes some standards and i don't think any system truly works in any organization unless you're clear what the standard is that you're trying to achieve and standards around self-organization are no clutter no clutter no emails things are filed you complete the process that you've started you create a system where you can find what you're looking for you can teach somebody else that system and cheryl i know you said you'd you'd had some issues around um finding an assistant but Mm. but i remember what that office looked like and and it would have been a really difficult place to go in there and organize unless you were clear what the standards were on that person and how they were going to deliver it for you on your behalf. So, and I think when you start with your own standards, then it gets very, it's, it's, it's leadership. You're setting, you're setting standards for others in the same moment. You, you said something kind of interesting, Cheryl, about the way that, uh, Emeth point of view gave you some structure, not only to how you deal with your office, but you said that it actually impacted your your thinking in 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 general. What what did you mean by that? Well, I think for you know for me, I knew the areas of focus in a, in any business. You know, I I just knew them, but I hadn't really seen them laid out in the way that Emith was laying it out and I know we don't want this to be a commercial for Emith but it, it it gave me it gave me a framework that for somebody that is that tends to be a creative and tends to not necessarily be terribly organized it just gave me a framework to reference and a visual to reference so it's you know I knew that these are the areas of focus, what is it, the seven areas, I think, that that I could look at that at any point in time and say, how am I doing here? What needs to happen in this area? Where are my strengths and weaknesses? And, and obviously that's the first exercise you do before Nick even became our coach is you do that sort of self-rating. But I find myself referencing that fairly often with and without Nick. Hmm. And find that framework to be really valuable. That 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 roadmap of of leadership, brand, finance, management, delivery, sales, marketing is just a it's just such a great way of thinking about the business 
in the moment, where, where am I strong? What do I need to work on? How does our organizational structure support this at the moment? Am I concentrating on the right things? Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and it gives you something when, when a situation arises or you're dealing with growth or um, whatever challenges might arise, it gives you, again, it gives you that sort of framework to look at where you need to really be focusing your energy for optimal performance or, or for um, you know, the, the best outcome. Before you had that framework to to see your business in that way, to to see a business as made up of these component parts uh, of of the leadership piece of it, and and marketing and branding and sales and delivery, all of these components. Can you describe? And so you're you're in advertising. You're you're a creative. Can you describe in some way how you saw your business before that? Before you had that lens. Yeah, it was a lot of moving parts um, that weren't in any particular order for me. And, I, you know, I sort of can compare it when I think about it. I can compare it to whatever people's sort of to-do processes. I, I use a mm-hmm. Tony Robbins RPM process, which kind of gives me a place of what do I need to accomplish this week, want to accomplish this week, why do I need to do that? And what are the, the elements that are going to get me there? And so as the day goes on and I'm pulled in a million different directions and you know all kinds of situations arise, it gives me something to come back to and say, oh, that's right, I'm working on this. And I'm working on this because this is, this is important. Why? Um, and and so it's really the equivalent of that, but on a on a macro scale, not a micro scale. When it's really, um, it it you know it it gives you kind of a home base. There are there are all of these elements floating around, and it's fairly chaotic. And you know you need to be focusing on them, but because you're pulled and caught in the day to day, you don't necessarily have a way to kind of hone in on even even the visual of it you know even the visual of being something to reference something to kind of bring you back home and sort of a home base it, it makes sense i mean when i i think back to when i was running a, a business in the past and um I, I when i think about it it's like i was exploring in an ocean so i'm i'm under the water and exploring swimming around, I see new things, I try new things, they do, they have a result or they don't. Uh, You're going around and around and around and having some way of viewing the different parts of your business as, as these, you know, in this case, the, through the seven dynamics, it's like, for me, it's like the equivalent of getting hoisted out of the water and now you're over it and you see, oh, I was in an ocean. You know, it's like, oh, this, this is how, what this looks like. And that's what I was doing. And here, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a different perspective. It's, it's a way off the hamster wheel in a way. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree with that. But Cheryl, I, I just want to sort of thank you for what you just said, because um, you're an inspiration. You know, I've, I've worked with you for nearly two years now, but 
the way you show up as someone who has a clear focus and knows what they want to achieve in spite of the kind of chaos of your industry um is is inspiring and it's inspiring for the people that work for you now and it, and it's so different to how how it was two years ago if or it feels so different to me to how it was two years ago no it, it's completely different it's completely different how I show up and and how but again it comes back to that psychology of how do I think about myself and and Nick I mean I'll credit you with a lot of that because there were times early on in our relationship where I would show up the way I used to which was scattered and um, not necessarily taking responsibility and not really showing up like a CEO and you would call me out on that and it was difficult but absolutely needed and it really made me step back and say okay is this is this how I want to show up is this who I want to be in this business and it's caused me you know it's caused me again to really show up in the way that I want to and have learned how to to um, be in the business and you know it's it's been a tremendous shift I mean I don't know anybody that I work with or knows me personally who hasn't seen the transformation. It's been very, very significant. Wow. Wow. That's, it's inspiring. And, um, well, the both of you seem like they, like you were a good match for each other at the time. Um, I, I know that eventually at one point you all reached the point of, of setting some goals. Nick, Nick, can you uh, can you tell me was was Cheryl a natural goal setter? No, no, Cheryl. I, mean, I don't know. You, I, you'll better speak to this than me, Cheryl. But it was it was a real struggle for us to try and establish some goals because because we didn't even know really what our starting point was, um, and we were very nervous about um, the financial stability of the company. It, we didn't we didn't know what we didn't really know where we stood financially uh, income was kind of hit and miss and we weren't sure what our expenses were really um, and so it, it felt like we didn't have a found a found a firm foundation for setting setting goals for what well, I guess that was 2013 2014 2014. Yeah. Do you remember uh, that? Was, yeah, absolutely. Right. It was the end of 2013. And no, we, we didn't, I didn't know what the baseline was. So it was very difficult to imagine, how, you know, uh, setting goals was really something I'd always struggled with, always knew I should do. Um, but when I came, when it came time to do it, because I didn't have the basic information that you need to, you know, have an understanding of your starting point so you can set goals going forward, uh, I always really struggled with that. And it wasn't until I did have an understanding of where we were and where we wanted to be that it, it became much easier and it, and it was still a struggle. I won't, I won't say it's a simple process, especially for somebody like me. And I was very resistant. I mean, Nick really had to push me 
uh, pretty hard to complete the goal setting exercise. I just kept coming back and saying, I don't, you know, it does, I don't, it's based on nothing. I'm guessing here. And it was a process to kind of step back and say, you know, let's make, let's make an educated guess. I think, I think in terms of, you know, especially setting financial goals in a business that at the time was as volatile as ours just felt really daunting. There's, I'm sure there's some people listening to this that have businesses where, in their opinion, it's just plain not worth setting goals. Why, why spend the time making a spreadsheet and charting it all out when I could just be doing? And whatever the result will be is what it'll be. Uh, did, did you believe that at any point or, or now maybe where you are today? Is there anything you would say to people who, who are taking that perspective? Absolutely. Yes. I was one of those people for sure. Uh, you know, because we had been in business for so long and it's sort of taken that tack. And now absolutely, absolutely firm believer in setting goals. You know, it gives you a roadmap and it gives you, it gives you something to manage against. And even if you don't necessarily hit your goals, you know, I can use this year as a great example and a conversation I had with my CFO about it because I had set very aggressive growth, growth goals over the next, uh, when we did this exercise, what Nick, so it was, 20, it was 2014, and I had set three-year revenue growth goals and profitability goals and, you know, full-time employee goals and offices and all kinds of, of lofty ideas and um, thinking. And hey, hey, Cheryl, just go, 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 you know, let's actually talk through some of those. Those goals were lofty, but, you know, new offices, new locations, uh, the growth for employees was we started with eight. We're Mm going to be, what, 25 by the end of this year. So that's in the company's grown, what, threefold in yeah, and we'll be we'll be thirty by the end of January. Yeah, because we're hiring for New York. So yes. Okay, so in just over two years, and um, the revenue goals as well. Oh, not not least of which the profitability. So it wasn't yes. just the revenue goals were were we were driving those upwards. Am I allowed to say what they are? Yeah, go ahead. So I think we started at two and a half, just under three, and we're now uh-huh. at seven. We are at six. I think we're going to end the year at about six and a half. Seven was the goal. Uh-huh. Um, and we, you know, and this, this leads me back to the conversation I had with our CFO because I said I was very disappointed that we weren't going to hit that $7 million number. But it was, it, he said, it's, you need that, you need those goals. We're on track. We're actually exceeding our profitability. So we're still quite profitable. We've built a machine that can support that $7 million in revenue, but we're not necessarily, uh, you know, it's, it's not impacting our profitability in any way. It's actually improved fairly significantly through pro- a lot of the process we have here. But it gives us something to, to manage to, not only manage to, but to strive toward. So setting that number, yes, it was a lofty goal. It was I think it was a, a 70% growth. And last year, we had 60% growth. So it's 
it, it's a lot for a company to grow that much year over year. And um, but but it but it when I look at it through that lens of yes, it's so important because it it gave me something to strive for and and again manage to not only in terms of what we're doing internally, but what kind of revenue we're looking to bring in and the kinds of clients. It, it's also really important to have those goals because then you can step back from those goals and even if they're not based on the soundest fundamentals, you can look back at them and say, okay, how are we going to get there? And in, the, and in the first year, we didn't necessarily do that. We weren't in that place. I set, I set some goals and it almost felt like sheer force of will that we got there. It wasn't, it, it's not true because there were a lot of things that were happening to support that behind the scenes in the way that we ran our business. But in terms of increased revenue, it, it felt almost sheer force of will. This last year has felt far more intentional. Like it's mm. the growth that's happened has been intentional and, um, you know, created by us because we had a strategic plan that made sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I want Martin to jump back in, but I just want to give one example of that force of will that you mm. that you show often. You <laughs> walked myself and Cliff around this empty office building which was huge. And I imagined the eight employees that Pia currently had at the stage just rattling around this huge building thinking, oh, how on earth is this going to happen? And it felt so scary. But that was you sequencing your goals. You couldn't increase your revenue until you were in a position where you could increase the size of your team. And you couldn't increase your team until you had a place for them to work. Yes, absolutely. That was setting your intention and then sequencing your goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of business owners that would be thrilled with 60 and 70% year-on-year growth. And I'm most curious about that second year when the shift came and you felt like it was more intentional and less brute force and sheer willpower to, to get it done. I know, I know a lot of business owners who probably also know exactly what that's like. What, mm -hmm. what did you turn around? What, what created a new way of top line revenue growth for Pia? You know, it was first and foremost having a team that elevated the level of work that we were doing. Um, it was having a management team in place, even though it was a small one, uh, in place to really support me in moving that forward. Having a team in place that could implement systems and process where there really was none. And having the space to not be working in the business all the time and I'm, you know, I'm still pulling myself out a lot, but it's nowhere near, it's gotten progressively better. And now, honestly, I'm at a place now where I've got a team that's doing so much of the day-to-day -day that I'm really focusing on the vision of the business and 
how we're going to get where we want to go. I'm very excited about next year because really I do have a management team in place that has, is, is going to change my life. So, yeah. Wow. That sounds yeah. amazing. Sounds, yeah. When, um, let me ask this. Getting yourself out of your business, especially when it's it's your own that you started, is that scary at all to you? Does, does it make you nervous to, to remove yourself from the day-to-day? Yes. Well, it doesn't anymore, but it did. And that was part of, I think Nick, Nick and I had some serious work to do around that because he was encouraging me to bring on people that could take over certain elements of what I was doing. And I was very resistant. I was, I was reluctant and it didn't make sense because a lot of the things I was doing, I really hated doing. Um, but I was reluctant to, to go and, and put those people in place or go and get those people. And I think what the place that we got to, that was a real turning point was I realized that I wasn't sure if I wasn't doing all that day-to-day work, I wasn't sure what my value was because I had never been, had, had the space to not be working in it 24-7. I didn't know what that would look like, and I think I was really afraid of that. So it was a, a very, um, it, it was scary. It was a scary transition. And I think once I recognized that and worked through that and brought my first person on that took so much of the work that that had just weighed very heavily on me off, I could see, actually, have a better vision of what my value was as opposed to thinking that it was tied to just this day-to-day activity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And who, who was that person? That was bringing on a finance person. That was bringing on a CFO who, who, as he calls himself, our financial navigator. And it's, it's probably my weakest area of expertise and um, something that was constantly overwhelming me, constantly stressing me, and um, taking a tremendous amount of my time. And bringing that person on, even, even on a part-time basis, which we did, bringing that person on was, again, life-changing in that I, I had an ally to help support what we were trying to do. I had somebody that could give us how I could, I could talk through you know, what our plans were and what resources we needed to do that where I didn't really have that capability. I'm not a financial guru by any stretch, and um, that's what he does. That's what he does for a living. So really change the dynamic in the, in the company so much. You know, Huge first hire. C- CFOs aren't always cheap. Uh, you could have just as easily kept that money in your pocket at the end of the year and kept that salary. Uh, was it worth it? Is it worth it at the end of the day? Oh my gosh, he's paid for himself a million times over. Absolutely. I mean, in, in profitability and having, 
you know, I have a very clear picture at any point in time of where we are and how we're performing. That alone is, you know, hugely valuable, but in peace of mind as well. It's not all on me. I had somebody else kind of sharing that load, and I mean, he had some sleepless, sleepless nights, I'm sure, but I was sleeping like a baby during those times. <laughs> um, so it was... So, so in terms of value, I couldn't, you know, he, it's, it's been, it's been immeasurable, immeasurable. Mm -hmm. And I just made a hire. I just hired a general manager. Again, I had some resistance. I had Nick strongly encouraging me to bring that role on. He has been for about six months and I had some resistance to it. I felt that I would, I had just kind of hit my stride as a manager in a business because I wasn't necessarily an excellent manager um, and especially as we were growing I wanted to kind of have a real hands-on approach so I was doing all one-to-ones and really involved in every single step of everything that had to do with with hiring and managing a team and it really kind of took it, it took some convincing for me to get the the importance of having somebody that can do that day to day so that I can focus in this coming year on growing the business in a really meaningful way in terms of going and you know expanded capabilities and and you know diversifying our client base definitely you know i there's something there's a little pattern that's emerging to me that I want to see, I want to say it and then see if you think there's anything to it or if I'm just making this up. But it seems like in the stories you're telling that the areas where you're having the biggest resistance to, when you push through it, you're actually unlocking some of the biggest changes in your company. Do you think, do you think that's true or no? Absolutely true. Yeah. Unquestionably true. Why, why is that? <sighs> you know, why is that? Um, I don't know why that is. Why the areas that I had the most resistance were the areas that really were the things that were most transformative to the business and to me personally. Um, I don't know because you, you would think I'm, I'm really clear about why I had the resistance the first go around when it came down to hiring a financial person. Um, you would think that I would have gotten that and been really eager to bring someone else in. I think I, I think again it comes back to that sense of value. You know, who am I in the organization? And at first I was everything. You know, I did I wore all hats. I remember when Nick and I sat down in the beginning, he said, Well who does this? And I said, Me. Well who does that? Well me well, I mean, we went down the list and I said, okay, so, you know, when you're looking at primary responsibility in these seven areas, it's kind of me. And on the one hand, that's overwhelming and certainly impossible because you're not good at all of those things, but it makes you feel like you have a, a value. You know, you're the one holding the ship together. And I think it calls into question your value in, in an organization when that's your identity, when your identity is locked up into being all things to all people. And um, 
letting that go again it changes that conversation and letting it go in the areas that are most that that you feel you're bringing the most value is again it's caught it causes a tremendous shift when you can step back hand it over to somebody that's more than competent and and you know infinitely better at you at doing this day-to-day thing or or whatever it is um, and and it opens up a whole new space for you to be become something else to the organization and I think that most business owners get kind of caught up so deeply caught up in the day-to-day and their entire identity is tied up with them being an integral part of it that letting that go and 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 handing over some of that responsibility and some of that, um, I guess, just the responsibility is difficult. Well, is is it just the responsibility, or is it that identity too? Right? Because you're saying it's the, you know, right. It's the, it's the responsibility and the identity. It absolutely is. And I'll tell you something else. I'll go a little bit deeper. It also you know, when you have to do that day-to-day, you have that as a pretty handy excuse for not accomplishing some of the bigger, loftier goals that you set out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was that was also a tough one to really recognize and look at and let go. You know, when you're when you're so busy, when you're so down in the trenches, there's certainly no time to accomplish the things that you really want to do or that you say you really want to do, um, and you can't be held accountable. I think that's a big one. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think, uh, right, it's a, lot, it's a lot easier to be a task list, list checker-offer uh, than to put people in the places that are needed to accomplish those things and let your value... Take the time to imagine. Imagine maybe my my biggest value, maybe the single most important thing I can bring to my own business is knowing and seeing who those people are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's it. Uh, but but nobody wants to be that when they grow up. <laughs> you know, nobody <laughs> nobody went to college and got a degree in that. Uh, we we think of entrepreneurship as as such an active activity is such a uh, that that we you pile the things on top of yourself so that you can check a lot of them off a lot of little things and like you said I, I think it, it easily gets in the way for a lot of people and there's the, the for me there's something about what you've just been saying about um, bringing that team on who are are covering the things that your are not your natural skill set what you what you didn't let go of, was how important it was to find the right people and to use a process that allowed you to hire on values. I'm not saying we didn't make some mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe those mistakes are really important because it, it taught us how important that process was. And I think you've become an expert, not in doing the jobs, but in, in finding the right people that you want to bring into your team that allows peer to grow in this very values driven way. 
Yeah, thanks, Nick. Yeah, I would say that that's true, and it's been tremendous trial and error, um, and it's been having confidence. Frankly, it a lot of it comes down to confidence for me. It, I I know in the beginning of starting to look at hiring people that maybe had skill sets that I didn't have. I think that there was some level of feeling threatened by that and there was a lot of trial and error and in the beginning because I didn't really think of myself as a leader the kinds of people that I was attracting were not necessarily people that were stronger at the areas that I that I needed help or needed the most support um, and that was obviously subconscious. I wasn't consciously trying to hire people that, that weren't as good as they needed to be. But there was some element of that. And, and again, at the time I didn't know that. But in retrospect, I can see clearly what I was doing. And I believe that as my confidence grew as a leader in the, in the organization, I became more comfortable with the idea of bringing in higher level players that could really contribute in a way that changed changed the, the company. Um, and I also became more skilled at identifying those people as well. And again, a lot of trial and error. I think as business owners, we all have to kind of go through that. But I've gotten to a place now where I'm really quite quite confident in my ability to identify talent and nurture them and get them excited and sort of share the vision of what we have in mind. And so we're attracting a different caliber of talent now. It's uh, The conversation has changed it, just in the last year even. It's changed completely. Yeah. I, and, and what you're describing makes so much sense and probably does to a lot of business owners out there where uh, it, it can feel threatening. And, and it, well, let's say this, even if it doesn't feel threatening, you can just not even know how to manage somebody who might know more than you about the topic, right? So if you bring in a really sharp CFO who knows much more than you about finance, what am I going to do to manage that person? How am I going to know when they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing? What What is that like for you? And what, or I guess... Okay. What have you learned about managing others who, who have those strengths that you didn't know before you hired them? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. I think it was, it was definitely a play for me in terms of hesitating to hire somebody who came in. I mean, there was, there was really even an element of, oh my gosh, they're going to come in and they're going to judge me. You know, I really, my books are not at all what they mm -hmm. should be. And the way we're running our business isn't the way it should be. And I had to really move past that. And and I think part of the thing that allowed me to, number one, I got past being embarrassed about it altogether. But I think in terms of understanding how to manage that person and know if they're doing a good job or a bad job was really coming back to understanding just basic fundamentals and making sure that I was getting regular reporting. And, you know, and again, Nick, Nick played an integral part in that. He was holding me accountable for holding Mark accountable to provide regular 
and, and consistent, you know, regular and consistent, redundant there, some consistent reporting. So I knew what was going on in the business. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's the way I got past it. And it quickly became a non-issue because it became more of a partnership. I didn't necessarily need to manage him. There's, you know, he could talk his way around me easily, but he, you know, he, he respected the skills and the strengths that I brought and I respected the skills and strengths that he brought and it's quickly became a partnership. Yeah. Nick, what does that look like to hold Cheryl accountable? You know, most business owners, when, when you're up at the top, you're lonely at the top and you, you answer to nobody but yourself. Uh, that's why a lot of people go into business for themselves. Mm -hmm. But what does it look like when a coach steps in to hold somebody accountable? I think um, that, well, I, I, I can tell my own story to, to this, actually. The, uh, the, the story I tell people, and it's true, is the best thing I ever did as a business owner was become an employee because all of a sudden I had an experience again of being managed. And that was uh, something I, I forgot as a business owner. I didn't know what accountability looked like because I... I was only accountable to myself. And it gets really hard when you're only accountable to yourself to hold other people accountable. So all of a sudden, going back into that situation where I was accountable allowed me to, I think it helped us in our relationship, Cheryl, because, because I, I, we could share what that was like from both sides. And I knew what it was like, how lonely it was, for you and Cliff at the top of the business and um, how much responsibility you were carrying. Um, and at the same time, I knew that, that, um, that sometimes you, you couldn't afford to let yourself off the hook. You had to follow through if you were to achieve your goals. Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard that your business recently encountered a, a, a bit of a bump in the road uh, in terms of, of one of your clients. And I'm wondering if this recent issue that you had to deal with, uh, has it had a, any kind of better or worse impact on your company than a similar thing might have happened in the past? Are you, are you better prepared for it or not as prepared for it? Uh, absolutely better prepared for it we, than, we, than we ever have been in the past. I mean, we could see it coming early on. We, start, you know, we, had, we had some warnings early on that, you know, from a, on the financial side of the equation, that we were starting to, to feel it, to see, see some red flags. Um, it, we, I had a team in place to support me in having a plan B should we need to to cut our overhead or you know make some make some different decisions or help come up with a plan to kind of remedy the the situation and so there was not a lot of panic and um, even even in our scariest moment there wasn't there wasn't panic and in the past I would say that that especially for Cliff and I that there would have been a lot more panic. So in this case, I was actually you know had mapped out uh, a hiring strategy for what we were going to do, and 
made the decision to continue on that path. And with with the support of my CFO um, and kind of just him, <laughs> I, I continued on, on the path and, and we recovered and we recovered beautifully and we had the team in place to, to do the work that we needed to do to recover. So it was it was a very, very different experience. It was not a panicky, scary experience. It was it was much more thought out. And we knew that, you know, if something didn't change, one, we needed to go either bring in additional revenue or B, adjust expenses. But whatever we were gonna do, we had plans in place for all of those scenarios, and that makes it much calmer and easier to bear. Doesn't mean you don't worry, but it definitely makes it much, much less panicky. I've noticed a couple of times in our relationship how like you're now the one that's that's holding the course and I'm the one that's panicking. <laughs> we that's, definitely had that this yeah. last time. But you know what? That that's leadership. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that was a real milestone for me, honestly. It it really was a turning point because I was committed to I had a, I had a lot of conviction about what I was doing and I didn't have it wasn't blind conviction, it was conviction based on I think sound fundamentals. I I knew what I was doing and I don't necessarily think that there's been a time where I've felt been in a challenging situation business-wise where I really felt confident that I knew what I was doing and that even if I was making a mistake, because I could have been wrong, uh, even if I was making a mistake that I had the skills and the team behind me to change course. Wow. Well, Cheryl, your, your story as a leader and the story of your business is really a remarkable one. And I, I, I really want to thank you for, for sharing that story with us and, and for answering these questions. And it's been great getting to know more about you and Pia and, uh, and learning how Emith played a part in the story of, of your business unfolding. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. Uh, you know, I think it's what Nick just said is it's lonely at the top. And even if at the top means you and one other person in your company, it's still really lonely. And there's tremendous value in feeling like you've got somebody that's got your back, that wants what's best for you, that isn't a family member or an employee with a vested interest, um, but, and that also has some solutions, some ways, some ways to approach your business that you might not be thinking about and that's that is just absolutely invaluable it really is wherever you get your coaching i i just think it's it's huge it it's changed everything for me it's really changed everything for me and going back to that accountability issue there's somebody to hold you accountable and we all need that mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree thank you cheryl it, it has been such a pleasure uh, really. And, uh, I hope we get to stay in touch and I wish you a lot of continued success. Thanks for listening to on it by Emith. 
We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast. Leave us your comments on our blog at blog.emyth.com or email any feedback to info at emyth.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or a like on SoundCloud. We really appreciate it. You can also schedule a free one-hour session with an Emyth coach and have your own coaching experience at emyth.com. You can learn more about our clients and coaches by visiting our website.